matter where you are. You are being watched. In today's world, no one is off the grid. Existing in the modern world has been forever changed. What's out there? What's out there? Most people don't want to know, but you are about to get clued in. This is Patriot Games. Patriot Games. We'll explore different intelligence, techniques, spycraft, and the latest cutting-edge technology that will blow your mind. We'll introduce you to pros who've spent careers in the intel community with incredible stories. We'll expose it all. Welcome to Patriot Games. And now your host, Greg Phillips. Hey everybody, this is Greg Phillips. Welcome to Patriot Games. Today we have a great guest. Christina Bob is an attorney for Save America. She's an author, written a new book called Stealing Your Vote. We'll talk a little bit about that later. And she's a Marine. Uh, She's an amazing lady. I have an enormous amount of respect for her and the work that she does. Christina Bob, welcome to Patriot Games. Welcome to Patriot Games, everybody. This is your host, Greg Phillips. Today, we have one of my favorite people in all of political land. And well, she probably doesn't think that she is very political. She is certainly a leader in the movement and is super important to us, Christina Bob. Christina is the author of a new book, Stealing Your Vote. Uh, She is a Marine. She is an attorney. She is just an amazing person. I've had the great uh, great fortune to get to know her and to meet her over the last... um, last few months and years. And I uh, just can't wait to uh, uh, let you guys into some insight from uh, my friend, Christina Bob. Christina, Thank welcome to so the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be on your show. I mean, you and Catherine are right at the tip of the spear on a lot of these most important issues. So thank you for having me. Well, I tell you, you know, it's been like this endless campaigns. Um, I was sick back in 2019. And then, of course, we all you know, had to endure 2020 with the virus right. and everything else that was going on. And, and, for, and for me, the, it, once the campaign sort of started in late 2019 and early 2020, um, it feels like it's never <laughs> stopped, right? It's like this endless campaign. I mean, we've been going and going and going. And, and I sort of have this sense now that we're kind of nearing the end of, um, of uh, whatever happened in 2022. Um, I wonder if uh, we're all going to be able to take a break. But then I think, nope. oh, well, probably not. Well, not really. But so this back in the old days, you know, we used to look at off years as the, as yeah. the year, man, we all got to take a break, maybe take a vacation and have a little fun. Yeah. But uh, so what you did was, um, you did all, all of your normal work, but you also wrote the book, Stealing Your Vote. Tell, well, tell us about your yeah, book. Yeah, so I wrote it because, you know, at the it was covering the time that I was a reporter covering the 2020 election and the aftermath, the Arizona audit and Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, all the states following. 
And as a reporter, you know, I'd get five to seven minutes to do a live hit and explain to everybody what was happening. And it just wasn't enough time to explain everything I was witnessing and experiencing. And I thought the American public needed to understand what was actually happening. And, um, you know, there, there are several books out there written by great folks that I know that really focus on the evidence of what happened in 2020. And I certainly do have some of the evidence in the book, but the book really does surround the personalities in these key positions and my interactions with them. And it, it gets the reader to understand why we're here, not just how did we get here? We all scratch our heads and think like, you know, was it the machines? Was it ballot stuffing? Was it, you know, all of the things that we've seen come out. And um, I wanted the American public to understand, despite all of that, why are we still in this position? And it's largely because of the political leaders and their uh, fear and cowardice or, you know, failure to stand up and actually uh, do their job. So I wanted people to understand what I was learning as I was interviewing people and really trying to dig in on the ground. So my hope is that the reader comes away with an understanding and is able to articulate maybe what they can't articulate now as to the problems and what actually happened. You know, the 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 challenge that we all have is sort of we all want to sort of live in today and think, oh, my gosh, what happened in 2020 was right. new to America or 2022. And. And, uh, you know, Americans have been cheating in elections since yeah. almost the very beginning. I mean, there's there's evidence that in Andrew Jackson's first race, it was stolen from him. And then in the one that he won, um, you know, is there's some, you know, reasonable um, people might believe right. that he stole it. Um, and so this thing goes back for 200 yeah. years. We've been doing this um, late in uh, the 1800s with whatever everything that was going on with Tammany Hall, rather than putting ballots into into boxes, they started putting them into glass bubbles uh, so that people could see what they were sticking into this, into the um, into the ballot box. And of course, that didn't work because right. you've got privacy issues and everything else and secret ballot stuff. But this has been going on. This has been going on forever. I mean, what what do you think, based on everything you know, what, what do you think actually happened to kind of kind of crack this thing yeah open i think that the swamp cheated and when i i say the swamp because i don't think it was just democrats i think republicans were part of it and um i think not you know they we like to make it look like oh it was this big coordinated thing where you know it was very orchestrated and and certainly there was some of that but I don't even think that was the majority. I think it was you had some really aggressive actors who wanted to solidify their control on power. You know, it was different between Republicans and Democrats in different states. So it's it's state specific. But I think it was just they were relying on Republicans or the opposite party to be cowardly and not do anything and not stand up and not challenge them. And they had the right to assume that because for the last 20, 30, 40 years, Republicans haven't been standing up. We have become the party of cowardice that has shrunk back and we have not stood up for conservative values. And I actually do um, flat out blame Republicans for the demise. I mean, why would you blame Democrats when we've given them the runway? You know, we, we give them the room to run and then I'll get mad when they run. And it's like, well, no, we should have been standing in the gap. We should have been been there from the beginning. And I, I hate to admit it myself, but I had somewhat of a Pollyanna type view of our elections. I mean, 
you, you've pointed out many of the problems that we've had since the beginning of our nation. And I, I say a Pollyanna view because it's a bit naive to think that everyone's just going to conduct themselves appropriately when we're talking about the most powerful positions in the world, not just the United States, but in the world. And certainly uh, I should have been more aware of people's willingness and ability to cheat or manipulate or uh, you know, whether you want to call it cheating or fraud or manipulating or just making the process unfair, uh, all of that is part of it. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's been people who haven't been part of the process. If we're a country, a self-governed nation, the people need to self-govern. The people need to be involved in the government process. And myself included, I wasn't and I didn't. And I think a lot of us have fallen into that category and a lot of us need to get back involved. You know, it's it's so true. Uh, I think back to, um, you know, where this all started for me back in my first year in politics was 1982. I worked in a, there was a race in Alabama for governor. George Wallace was running in his last race uh, for governor of Alabama, running against a speaking of Marines, uh, a Marine uh, named Emory Fulmer. He was the mayor of Montgomery and Mayor Fulmer was just I mean, he was just like everything you would expect from a from a, a guy from, you know, the 1930s and 40s and 50s that, that grew up just tough as nails, just an amazing guy. Um, but but the Wallace machine was so significant and their sort of prep into the thing was to basically get all get all the cabal, their own little cabal together and figure out what they were going to do. So I've been watching it from there. But what also happened that year uh, in New Jersey was the, the now infamous New Jersey oh, consent goodness. decree yeah. was signed. Um, and, and, and for those of, of the listeners who don't know, so this was a consent decree that was entered into, uh, between the court and the Republican national committee. Um, they had been caught doing some things they shouldn't have been doing, uh, in election integrity, allegedly in election integrity, but what they ultimately agreed to do was nothing. They agreed to never engage in election integrity work of any type for as long as this consent decree was in place. Well, thank God for President Trump and and the the Trump team and all the people that were involved, because ultimately in 2017, they finally quit renewing this thing. But, Christina, I think one of the things that happened during that intervening 40 years was or nearly 40 years was you had an entire uh, career worth of people, people like me that that sat and watched the RNC do nothing nothing, and we were like, what in the heck is going on? So we, we had no, we had no activists. We had no operatives. We had no lawyers. We had no one that had any skills in this election. You're you're exactly right. And if I could just point Um, out one thing, that case was only in New Jersey. That was not a nationwide case. That was something surrounding facts that had happened in New Jersey about hiring security guards outside of polling stations. And They, the RNC at that point said, oh, well, we know what happened in New Jersey and we're entering into this consent decree in New Jersey, but let's go ahead and apply it to all 50 states. That, that was something they did voluntarily. I, sorry, I could go on about this for a while. No, it's it, yeah. it's just maddening, right? And so so for us that, that were involved in campaigns during all of that time, we had to, we had to fend for ourselves. And, you know, they wouldn't pay for it. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't give us any money to support us, help us or anything else. So there were all of these things that happened and, and none of the candidates felt like they could be engaged or involved in election integrity. So as an operative, somebody involved in campaigns like me, you'd have to kind of do it on yeah. a stealth basis. We'd have to do all these things, but we couldn't, we didn't tell the candidates sometimes. Uh, we didn't tell 
others what we were doing because we didn't want anyone else right. to get in trouble. We certainly didn't want the RNC to turn off the money spigot. But that's how we landed here. So what happened is in 2018, once this consent decree was gone and and people at least you could talk about it out of the shadows, um, now you have an entire generation of people that preceded 2018 exactly with no right. experience or little to experience other than people like us who had been doing You're, it behind and the even scenes. Even worse than that, that's all true and frustrating. But worse than that is the way that it had been going was um, either the state GOPs or, or other individuals like yourselves were, I mean, you're, you're the anomaly, right? Most folks weren't doing what you were doing. They were standing by and hoping that the candidates or the GOP or somebody else would do it. So once the consent decree was no longer renewed and it was expired in 2018, everybody that had been doing, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people that had been doing um, election integrity said, oh, consent decree is over. The RNC can now do it. It's no longer our responsibility. So you had the fail, like right. the, the the deadly cocktail of an RNC and a, a Republican political structure that had literally had zero experience working in election integrity because they'd abdicated that responsibility for forty years, and then you had everybody else who had been trying to do it now saying, "Oh, thank God, RNC can do it," and basically the most contentious election in U.S. history turning over election integrity efforts to somebody who had never touched the subject. So it, it was just a, a terrible cocktail. Exactly right. And then you add into that, of course, you had the, you know, whatever you want to call them, yeah. the swamp, the Republican establishment, the whatever they are, um, who really didn't want to yeah. deal with it. Right? Well, they, they didn't, didn't want care. to deal they, with the issue in yeah. part because they. The, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, they didn't it. care they didn't and care. they, they I mean, worked they, to protect they, their own seat and they had their donor and they had, you know, everything gerrymandered nice and clean so that they could keep their seat. And they were like, forget about the rest of the nation. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's it's exactly right. I, I, it's so maddening to, to talk about this. And whenever I think about it, I think, you know. I don't understand, and and I know this is in the news these days and not asking you, given your position, not asking you to sure. make an opinion on this. But but the idea that that the Republican National Committee as a committee, 168 members, three, um, you know, from uh, six territories, 50 states, three members each, a committee man, a committee woman and a chairman are going to reelect someone that, um, you know, really has taken a walk on all of election yeah. integrity. And it's it just for the, the lay people out there, you know, can you can. Do you, do you have a th some thoughts about yeah. this and and what what can people actually do? I mean, you know, for me, I've been around this for a while. I think I know the answer, but I'd love to know, you know, from someone right. in your position, what, what, what do you think is going to happen next with the I committee? I think the RNC is in a state of repair. Everyone says, oh, it's so fractured. It's so fractured. We're not as fractured as Democrats. We're, we're just not. Democrat Party has completely been taken over by True woke activists that have snuffed out any true American Democrats. So the RNC is in a much better position. Um, but we have we, we are now in a place where we have a generation of Americans who are dissatisfied and actually willing to get involved in even though, you know, the 2022 election wasn't exactly what we expected, what we thought of. We have a lot of new Republican blood that are actually true American patriots and they are now in office. And so I think the Republican Party is going through 
like a revival. That's the word that comes to mind. Um, we're, we're getting the life back into the party. It's not there yet. It's not, you know, certainly we have a ways to go, but I, I actually see good coming. Now that said, I don't, I don't want to play Pollyanna and pretend like, Oh good. Everything's going to be fine for 2024. I don't, I don't know. And so I, I focus on the grassroots. You know, I work closely with you and Catherine and try to coordinate, like, what am I doing? Let me show you, you know, to kind of make sure that the grassroots organizations are equipped to what they need. Because at the end of the day, Donald Trump is a grassroots candidate. He's famous and wealthy and has all those things, those Trump things, but he truly is a grassroots candidate. The party didn't want him in 2016. He, he forced the party to accept him because he was so popular. So I, I think it's, it's the movement of the people. It's the movement of the people getting involved and retaking, um, retaking control, not just of the Republican Party, but of the United States. And, and as for the Republican Party, you know, I, I work as an attorney for President Trump's campaign and work closely with them and actually have good relationships with them. Now, we disagree on views on certain things, whatever. But um, I my perspective of this is that it's going to be the grassroots that kind of come in and save the day and whatever else the RNC does to facilitate that, which I'm sure there will be good things that come out of it. Um, I, I'm grateful, you know, but I, I'm focused on the people and what the people are doing at their state and local level. Cause ultimately I think that's going to be what saves the day. You know, I think uh, you've heard me say this on a number of occasions, but I think um, leaders like you, leaders like Catherine, leaders like Carrie Lake, uh, there's so many um, uh, smart, um, articulate um, females with incredible backbones. I think that, uh, frankly, I think that Christy Nome and others, I mean, I think you people are going to be taking over the, all of this. And and I think that's part of the renaissance. I think that the, you know, the, the days of the old white guy, you know, in charge of all these things there are, are, well, are waning. And I think that's, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, I don't think yeah, it's bad. We I think need the old white guys too, though. I, I don't, I, I am not of the club that says get rid of the old white guys. There's a lot of old white guys that have a lot of good to <laughs> offer. So I appreciate that. But, um, it, it, the reality is I know that the point you're making, it takes all of us. We all have to get involved and we all have to own our part and do our part to correct the trajectory of this nation. Yeah, we really do. And, and, uh, and I, th I think that, um, 2023 and 2024, um, I think that the leaders are really going to start to step up. And I think you're going to start to see some things that maybe we have not seen in the past. Um, Catherine, uh, back years ago, we, we were talking about this. She was frustrated. I'll tell you, um, she may not <laughs> want me to tell this, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, when she first got into this business, like in 2009 or 2010, she, she, she claims, you know, she didn't know any better or whatever. So she just started going around meeting yep. with people. She went to, to Austin to meet with governor Perry and say, Hey, here's what I'm going to do. And expected them just to be like, Oh man, that's great. And, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he even read me what to make <laughs> of her. Um, but she also did the same thing with yeah. Reince Priebus. So she goes up, she goes up to DC to meet with rights and says, Hey, uh, I'm here to do this election integrity stuff. And, you know, and people really care about, you know, a broken process and, you know, and I'm here to fix it. And I've got a bunch of people supporting me and helping me, you know, will you, will you jump in? And, you know, I, I wasn't there. So, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't quote him, but it was, um, uh, paraphrase. Look, we don't, we're not involved in election integrity. We've got this consent decree. We've got all these things going on. 
you know, and, and uh, I'm here to elect people and we don't have time for election integrity. And she was just yeah. you know, crestfallen by the whole thing. Like, like, what, do, wait, what do you mean? The, the <laughs> national committee's not going to do this, but of course she's stuck in it. And, and, um, you know, and now the, uh, now this, this movement that a lot of people think is sort of new right. is, is really not, but you know, the, um, the reality of it all, um, for, for us, as those conversations began to unfold was really this idea that, and you, and you, you talked about it in the context of, of the grassroots. And I think that that's probably true. But one of the things Catherine and I have long talked about is cr- creating more of a, a transparent committee, right? Yeah. Um, more of a transparent, um, um, people-based um, operation. Uh, we went so far as to, we've got this great logo. We never did anything with it, but we've got this great logo. It's called Open RNC. And the idea the idea was that we create a, a transparent and open RNC that, that was more welcoming of, of the new people that were coming in over the last 10 oh, years or that. so. And, um, and, and while I think that, um, you know, that, that may be an idea past its time, um, uh, or whose time has passed, um, I think conceptually it still matters because people want to come in and help. I think that's what this Anon movement is about. You know, people, you know, people talk about Q or they talk about Anons and do you believe? And they're always trying to get folks to get in. But, but really part of it is, you know, uh, another thing Catherine has long said is look, people just yeah. want to belong. And they, 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 but they also want to know that they're not being used or taken advantage of or whatever. And then they hear these crazy stories about people like Herschel Walker who, who are running and, and, you know, doing everything they can do to be elected. And then you look and see that Raphael Warnock has more money in his bank account than, you know, has ever been, ever been raised by any Senate candidate ever, something like $158 million. It's like, how? Yeah. How could this even be? And then you have then you have Herschel Walker, and there's all these stories out there that that some of the committees were raising money for him, and he was only getting you know a, a very small percentage of what was coming in. And and whether it's true or not, and I've been around these committees yeah. long enough to understand the game, and I don't even want to get into that. But whether it's true or not, it still erodes the confidence of the yeah. people. I think the people need something to believe in, and it's hard to believe. Um, in in people who 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 don't want to be transparent in what's going on they don't want to talk about how much money they've given to to Herschel Walker or how much money they've put in the committee account or how much money that 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 they're pushing into election integrity or whatever the issue or the candidate or whatever it is may be I have this sense that if they don't figure this out, that renaissance or that revival that you that you described is going to wane because people just are having a hard time right. believing and they've got to open the doors and they've got to, you know, stop, um, you know, hiding behind the Republican National Committee um, apparatus and structure that seems to only favor the, you know, the yeah. consultants, operatives and, and attorneys that, that are already kind yeah. of in the mix. And, and I think if they open the doors, people are going to be a lot more. Uh, yeah, no, I think happy. you're right. I think, I think politics in America will forever be different. <laughs> um, Post 2024, America will be different. It will either become the most transparent, freest government nation that's ever existed on the planet, or it's going to become a very corrupt, dark, uh, opaque government that probably 
works to oppress its own people. I mean, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but that's those are really the options that we're facing. I think uh, we've got about two years to clean up uh, what we know enough um, just to have fair, just to have a shot. I don't even want to call it fair. It probably won't be fair, but the the MAGA movement is so popular and the conservative movement is becoming more and more popular every day because we're seeing what's happening with this woke agenda. And it's, it's not American. It's not what this nation stands for and it's not what this nation wants. And so we, we just need 2024 to be clean enough that we can get America first candidates in office, that we can get President Trump back in office, that we can clean up, um, that we can clean up our government. And if we do that, I think we will have enough room afterwards to, to continue to clean it out. And I think by that point, uh, I think the RNC will be fundamentally different. And the, the DNC is going to have to decide what are they going to do? Because America, America is different. I, and, and people don't want their woke values. People don't want what they have. And they can't hide behind their schemes anymore. Because hopefully by that point, we will have already you know cleaned it out and exposed it. So there's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of ways for people to get involved, you know, get join. The first thing you do should get on Truth of Votes mailing list and see their updates and figure out what they're doing um, and find a local group, a grassroots group in your area to get involved. Because, um, my, yeah, I, you know, I, I really do think that we're entering into a really great time in America. It's going to be rough getting there, but I just don't think we're over. I just don't, I just don't believe this is the end of America in if it's not the end of America, it means we are at least somewhat successful at cleaning this up. So anyway, that's that's the way I view it. So, yeah, uh, let's talk a little more sure. tactically for just a second, because you talk about cleaning up. And whenever I think about that, I always think about the dirty voter rolls, right? America's yeah. voter rolls are a mess. They're an absolute mess. I mean, we, you know, we'd almost be better off just just stopping and then starting over and making everybody re-register. I know the left would never allow that, but we've gotten to the point now where the roles are so dirty that yeah. it's hard to rely on them. My personal belief, and based on all of my experience and everything I know and looking at the roles and knowing what's in there, that that if we don't clean the voter rolls, we're going to have a hard yeah. time ever getting to a free and fair election. Um, Very hard. It's hard. It's not easy work. It's not like it's not like going on to True Social and you know yelling at me <laughs> because I didn't do something. I mean, you, you actually do. have to get your hands dirty. And, and I think people people really need to to understand that that 2023 is going to be very much a year of not. I mean, I'm not not advocating going to rallies, obviously, but but it's going to be a year of getting your hands a little bit dirty. Yeah. You've got to get in and clean. Yeah, up I know these you're exactly rolls. right. And um, not to try to push my book again, but I actually explain the voter roll situation um, in stealing your vote so that people can understand. Because we hear that all the time. Oh, the voter rolls are dirty. They need to be cleaned up. But like, what does that mean? And each state's a little bit different. And the way you can manipulate voter rolls is different. You can add voters. You can subtract voters. You can make inactive versus active. You can inflate and then immediately deflate. Like, There's a lot of games that they play with the voter roll. And so I, I do my best to expose that. I actually use Wisconsin as an example in the book so that the reader can understand the gamesmanship and the manipulation that takes place with the voter rolls and then hopefully um, get involved in cleaning it up. But I, I think you're right. It's, it's going to take 
all of us doing open records requests and paying really close attention to who's on the voter roll. Not, I don't mean who as in like the individual, but like how many people are on the voter roll, you know, where are they coming from? Why, why is there so much fluctuation in the way that the voter rolls are structured? And yes, cleaning up the voter rolls, I think is number one for uh, election integrity steps between now and 2024. I I think it's of utmost vital importance. I got my, I got involved in my first voter roll cleaning thing in Alabama back in the 1980s. There was a county in Alabama, Bullock County, Alabama, um, home to Union Springs, uh, Fitzpatrick, and a few other little tiny little towns. There was a hundred. This is in probably 96, maybe. I can't remember when this was, but um, there was 147% of the voting age population, <laughs> not just registered to vote, yeah. but voting yeah. in Alabama. But in this particular county in Alabama, a few years later, a guy named uh, Perry Hooper was running for chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. And uh, Judge Hooper uh, went to bed thinking he had won by 15,000 votes to be the first Republican chief justice in Alabama history um, and woke up the next day and he was behind yeah. by 24 votes. And what, hap- what happened was they found all these votes yeah. in uh, – in, uh, in, uh, in a couple of counties in Alabama, uh, it took 11 months to get him seated. Uh, but um, ultimately, it went to the federal district court and the United States Supreme Court, and they affirmed a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is, whatever the law is on election day, that's the law. It's not what the lawyers think. It's not what you want it to be. It's not what the campaigns think. It's whatever the law says. And so the court was pretty pretty clear on that point. And this was all about yeah. dirty voter rolls in some ways, but it was also about um, how they were manipulating. You said there's all sorts of different ways they do it. And that's true. In this case, uh, the court also said that if, if the, there's, some, there's a, a, a flawed legal doctrine in, in elections called uh, substantial completion. So if you substantially filled out that envelope to return it in the mail, that that was good enough. But, but, you know, tagging that along with the other piece But if the law says that you've got to Mm -hmm. sign it, you've got to date it, you've got to have a witness sign it and date it, then that means you've got to have two signatures and two dates. And the court was really clear on that. But the other thing the court was clear about, and this is coming up in Arizona again now, um, is that, you know, in so doing these, these things that counties want to do, you can't do something different that disenfranchises or disadvantages another right. county or people right. in another county. And that that's exactly what's happening mm-hmm. in Arizona right now. But these same stories have been over and over and over again. They have a lot to do with dirty voter rolls. They have a lot to do with a broken process. They have a lot to do with people just flat out wanting to cheat. But the other piece of this is sometimes it's not cheating. It's sometimes it's just, just really, really bad and right. broken process, meaning that they have sort of institutionalized right. the cheat. And these are these are all things that I mean, you know, been running through my head. And Catherine, I've been talking about for over a decade. Uh, I've been sort of deeply involved in for a little bit longer than that. But this is it's a it's a it's It's a a very real thing. It's It's a a very real thing. Talking about institutionalized cheating. I mean, Maricopa County, Arizona is you know prime example number one. The county is massive. It's 66%. It's two-thirds of the state, all the voters, two-thirds of the voters live in Maricopa County. Now, in the last session, the Arizona legislature tried to break up the county. They wanted to break up the county because if you have corruption or bad practices in Maricopa County, 
that that's going to throw off the entire state. And so if you could break up the county and make it smaller, you know, either into two or three new counties so that, it, you know, it protects the vote for more people so that they're not all disenfranchised. And it was shot down. It was shot down because those that have their seat want to keep their seat and they think, oh, you know, why, why mess up the county? So um, is that fraud? Is that illegal that they didn't pass that? No, of course not. But it's also the obvious solution. I mean, look at look at Maricopa County. They look stupid right now on national television. You know, they they've had so many problems. They look ridiculous. And yet they couldn't figure out a way to get that legislation through. And I'm not sure if it ended in the legislature or if Doug Ducey actually vetoed it, if it passed and he vetoed it. I, I'm not I don't remember how it died in the process, but it died in the process. And I mean, that's that's the obvious solution. And yet that didn't occur. So <laughs> that's just one of the hurdles to your point about process fouls. That's not fraud. Is it manipulation? I would say it's manipulation. Is manipulation illegal in that context? Probably not. No, well, it's not. You know, it's the legislature doing it. But um, but it's frustrating and it's not the best representation for the people of Arizona. Christina, Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Where can people uh, find Stealing thank Your you Vote? Thank so you It's book. available for pre-order. It comes out in January. You can get it on Amazon and you can follow me on social media, Christina underscore Bob on the, the main uh, platforms and Christina Bob on Truth and Getter. You are the absolute best. Thanks so much for joining us on Patriot Games and uh, look forward to uh, seeing everything unfold in Arizona this week. And maybe we can catch back up and, and uh, do an after action. Report I would love that. Thank you over. so much. Christina, Bob, thank you so much for joining us on Patriot Games. Uh, look forward to your new book, Stealing Your Vote. We'll put the link to uh, Amazon so that everybody can pre-order and appreciate you so much being on here and all the work you do for this movement and for America. Patriot Games. PatriotGames.com. Now, back to your host, Greg Phillips. When we started Patriot Games, we had absolutely no idea how we were going to be able to put this together. And uh, uh, Taylor, our executive producer, and and all of us just kind of jumped in and started putting together equipment and started putting together the the pieces that ultimately became this. Um, I'm so grateful for the the people that have signed up to support us on Patreon um, and. It's it's really sort of gratifying and humbling a little bit uh, when we first started this and then launched that first episode of the prelude. Um, we didn't even really know what to think. Uh, we just kind of stuck it up there. We stuck a camera up there. I don't even think we had all our lights lit. The you know we had all manner of stuff going wrong. Um, but uh, for those of you that have chosen to uh, support us through Patreon, I can't thank you enough. Um, we're going to get you some interesting information we're going to give you a list of uh of some of the episodes that are upcoming and let you have an early look at that and uh, we'll continue to provide you with new and interesting information appreciate y'all so much please uh if you're so inclined uh support us on patreon it'll help us uh continue to make this program better for everybody you've been listening to patriot games privacy is a thing of the past No matter where you are, 
You're being watched. No one is off the grid. The intelligence community has access to technology that most Americans can't even imagine. And this show is here to expose all of it. For more info, to contact, and to stay up to date, visit the website at PatriotGames.com. Until next time, keep your eyes open.